Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is June 28th, 2023, and this is episode 368. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on this week's show, we're going to return from our self-induced exile uh, to mix equal parts celebration and freaking out. And we'll also provide some alternative broadcasting content. We'll do that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this evening? I am working my way through a gin and tonic. It's uh, Empress Gin, which is fantastic. And then if the conversation goes poorly enough, my backup drink, I do have a bit of bullet bourbon in the room. So depending on how the Orioles game goes this evening, uh, you may end up in bourbon territory. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I am also doing a gin and tonic, I believe, created by yourself. Um, just want to make sure I got this right. This is Blue Point Gin in it. Blue Coat. Blue Coat. Um, and it's got elderflower liqueur in it. And then it's got tonic on top, correct? That is correct. And then there's a fine slice of lime directly in there. One or seven. You know, it's all fine. How many limes does the English household go through in a given week? A lot. A lot? A lot. Do you think uh, the uh, you know colonialists that came over from England, do you think they ate more limes than you do in the English household? All I'm going to say is that we do not get scurvy yes. here in this That's house. what I wanted to make sure of. Um, if you want to know what we're drinking on a daily, weekly, or hourly basis, check us out on Tapped. I'm at MEGN8606. I'm at JakeE4025. And with that, let's go check if anybody else has scurvy in the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heart, they fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. It's so All right. So starting us off, um, obviously the big news this week was Cedric Mullins returning from that groin strain. He's back. Um, pretty amazing recovery here. I mean, he, you know, Elias, when this was going down, he didn't want to give a definitive timeline. But he said if he had to characterize what, it. What? The, the GM was cagey? I, I imagine that. <laughs> Especially Mike Elias. Uh, but he wanted to characterize it as a grade two groin strain. You know, looking at that kind of timeline, we're like, well, that's at least eight weeks. And you're probably looking at, you know, him coming back, you know, after the All-Star break. Um, and miraculously, he came back, you know, really quick. I think it was within, what, three, four weeks, basically. So the um, groin strain may have been grade two, but I'm giving the Orioles medical staff grade A. Yeah, that's a lot of, um, you know, muscle relaxers and uh, massaging down there. Absolutely. Um and, you know, in similar standpoints, Ryan Mack also continues to remain on the IL. He is back in rehab assignments, currently at AAA Norfolk. Um, and again, recovering from vertigo standpoint. So, you know, he was struggling during those first initial rehab assignments. I think he was like 0 for 13 with a bunch of strikeouts. I think he had six strikeouts in those first 13 plate appearances. Um, starting to turn it around. He's starting to have a few hits here and there. I think he had one tonight as well. Um but again, not a lot of pressure right now for Ryan Mountcastle based off of, you know, how the rest of the team is kind of filled in for him um, in his absence. You know, we've been away, which we alluded to. 
uh, took took some time off, had some difficulty getting back together, got absolutely pounded by rain yep. and uh, a lot of rain delays, lost power. Uh, but we haven't been together uh, to talk about the Ryan Mountcastle situation, so I want to ask you: Do you think that the the Vertico diagnosis accounts for some of the um, uh, suboptimal results that we were seeing, or do you think that when he comes back, we might see the Ryan Malcastle we saw before he went down. Um, I, I think it, this is the, the Ryan Malcastle we saw before is probably the Ryan Malcastle we're going to get back. Um, I think it's a, a situation where, um, you know, this is maybe exasperated a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's, you know, pretty apropos. I mean, it's a situation where, you know, a situation like Ryan Malcastle, you know, having vertigo. Um, you know, that can happen when you're around the birds as well. Um, and, you know, other, you know, issues on that basis. That's a nice, that's a nice turn of phrase. I award you a point. Yes. All right. Uh, next individual, uh, Michael Gibbons made a, an appearance in Baltimore, but not on the active roster, but came up and basically through a pitching session um, with the team, um, you know, demonstrating that right shoulder soreness and, you know, taking a look at it. You know, uh, Brandon Hyde came afterwards and said, Low level of concern, not a big deal. But he's been on the 15 day AIL since, you know, June 1st, as it is. Um, and again, he hasn't had great success um, as it relates to, you know, his minor league rehab standpoint. So, what do you make of the Michael Gibbons situation? Uh, really, at this point, the team needs some help. And uh, I, I think as soon as he gets back, he's going to get thrown in the mix, no matter what the results look like in the rehab assignments. Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're right. Um, James McCann has also been on the IO with an ankle sprain. Um, you know, that was as of Sunday. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens, and we, you know, we were expecting him back. You know, pretty quickly after you know his IL stint is over. But it certainly made um, some of the roster moves very interesting. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Um, but yeah, very intriguing. John Means, uh, he's still working through that back strain uh, while recovering from Tommy John surgery. It's nice in the fact that, uh, you know, it wasn't an arm piece. July is clearly off the table, but still a 2023 return. And, you know, if we can get any pit of John Means back for this season, uh, great. And he made an appearance in Baltimore today, pitching in the outfield off a of flat ground. You know, nothing significant, just kind of some tossing around. Um, but I completely agree. It would be great to see John Means somewhere um on this 26 man roster dylan tate yeah, dylan tate is an interesting one i mean the timetable is uncertain he still is on the major league il he's kind of floating in and out of his rehab assignments uh, i mean i hate to say it but i i i just don't see dylan tate coming back anytime soon i it just i wonder if it is a matter where the orioles are eventually going to have to make a decision we'll get to this a little later saying do we just shut down Dylan Tate for the season and in essence come back next year and see what, what we can make out of it? Yeah. Yeah. And because at this point you need to look at, are we doing more damage than we're doing good? Correct. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well with that, um, I think that's it on the medical wing. Uh, let's go to 280 characters less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you start us off? All right. This one we're going to file under catch me. If you can, the Orioles send one depth catcher through waivers while adding another on a minor league deal tweets, MLB trade rumors at MLB trade rumors. And you know, it's interesting. The Orioles signed. Oh, I'm going to, br- br- I'm going to brutalize this one. Mabris Valoria. 
That's what I'm going with. Which is almost Bravik Valera. Yep. I mean, it's it's close. Uh, but they signed him to a minor league deal, so to you know increase the uh, catching depth, and they also outrated uh, outrighted Jose Godoy um, in the in the Westberg move. Um, it's interesting with McCann on the IL. Yep. With not a ton of great catching depth beyond that yep. in the organization. With all apologies to Ben Boom. Yep. Uh, this is the, the waiver wire game. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I would, I would come back and point out that you do have Maverick Hanley, um, available that you could potentially pull from AAA. Um, but yeah, the Orioles seem to not want to, in a sense, tap into putting another catcher on the 40 man roster at this given time. Um, and they've had to with the whole, you know, McCann situation, but yeah, the, we'll call it the third or fourth catcher in the organization standpoint is really interesting right now. Um, and the Orioles have been, in essence, playing the shell game in terms of, like, who is going to be my emergency catcher, almost like a third goalie in the NHL. All right. The next tweet comes from Major League Baseball. I oh, love, I've heard of that. I love Major League Baseball and following them on Twitter and watching all the highlights from the Yankees games and then and the Red Sox games. Um, on Sunday, Felix Batista recorded the two fastest strikeout pitches by an Orioles pitcher in the pitch tracking era since 2008. He has thrown 23 of the top 24 pitches um, on that list. And again, this is the night day where he was throwing at, you know, the upper 102s, lower 103s. Um, but yeah, like definitely some some speed. I will say watching him kind of throw that game, um, I was taken back of like the command definitely seemed off that game. Um, but yeah, like I said, glad that, you know, Felix is continuing to go out there and, you know, dominate with that K, K per nine uh, ratio. Scott, I want to be very clear. One is not the loneliest number that the Orioles will ever do. Is two? No, it's going to be three. For the third time in the last two years, something interesting has happened. And this tweet comes to us from Baltimore Banner Sports, at all Banner Sports. There's a new guy on top, they tweet. Shortstop Jackson Holiday is the third Oriole. Uh, at Major League Baseball Pipeline, number one prospect in the last two years, following Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. This is fun. This is fun. So I, it's it's one of those, those things where, you know, you look at it and you're like, that's great. You know, Jackson Holiday is absolutely raking. I, I think the weird thing, and again, I think we're seeing it this week, um, especially with this individual up and playing against the Orioles, you know, he is right ahead now of Ellie De La Cruz. And Ellie De La Cruz is number two right now on the prospect standpoints until Ellie De La Cruz graduates and i you know just because you go to the matrix does not mean you sure. graduate from the prospect rankings um but i watch ellie de la cruz you know he hasn't had a great series against the orioles but i've watched him you know play for the past week and when you watch him you're like that is absolutely a talented athlete there's no doubt about it you can take a look at it and i look at it, jackson holiday being ahead of him and i'm like wait like seriously we we, we get that additional talent into this organization so I have a theory. Yeah. I think we're finally the recipients of narrative. I, I think the fact that Jackson Holiday followed Gunner and followed Adley Rutschman is, the, is a contributing factor to the fact that he's been named I, number one. I've heard somebody else say this, is the best way to describe it, saying, like, because you had two other people at number one, it is human tendency to say, well, I guess we should put an Oriole at number one. I'm not buying that is the best way to describe it. I'm not buying that. I think that if someone is clearly the number one prospect in Major League Baseball, then it, it's the case. Um, I do think you can come back and say, 
it's such a wishy-wash standpoint in the top five that maybe that's the case. But really, is someone going in at MLB.com and saying, hey, I'm going to put Jackson Holiday at number one to further the narrative of how good the Orioles organization is? I, I think I know who is who is meddling in the affairs of the pipeline list. Who's that? It's got to be Buster only. He loves it's the possible. Orioles. possible, yeah. But yeah, like I said, I've, I've heard that, you know, conspiracy theory um, in, embarked um, by many of Orioles fans. And I just I just don't buy it is the best way to describe it. I just think, you know, you have to look at Jackson Holiday's work that he's demonstrated so far early in the season and just how he hasn't, in essence, struggled through any adversity through going through multiple levels. Um, and you'd have to get really excited for a 19 year old. Wait, we're not doing phrasing. We're not doing phrasing. OK. All right, uh, let's go to the last tweet. Um, this next one comes from at Orioles. Again, I think you're familiar with it. Heard of them. Uh, and it is happy Jordan Westberg Day to all who celebrate. And again, we got to see Jordan Westberg make his debut for Major League Baseball. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Um, but so far, a really interesting debut, uh, a really exciting standpoint. Um, and again, you look at Jordan Westberg at where he sits right now in the top 100. Um, and the Orioles do have other prospects ahead of him. Um, so again, if Jordan Westberg is putting up these numbers, it kind of further emphasizes the standpoint, like we were discussing, of like how good could this team be in years to come. It's also a win for me from the uh, Orioles socials team. Just yeah. you know, another hat tip. Yeah, it, it's a small thing, but it's fun. Yeah, I love the fact they're with us on that one. All right, well, we've got a lot to get into. Like I said, we've been we've been absent for a while, um, so let's go around the bases and uh, try to figure out what we have seen and what we have missed with Orioles baseball. All right, Scotty, we're going to start, as as we often do, at first base as we go around the bases here. And at first base, it's been three weeks since we've been on the air, and I feel that I need to say something. This is going to sound weird coming from me because of the, the things that I've said on, on these very mics in the past, but I feel like somebody needs to provide a passionate defense of Orioles' optimism right now. Mm-hmm. I I know that the Orioles are not winning at the clip that they were in April and May. Yep. I know that the last couple weeks have have felt different. Yep. But I I do think that it would be an overreaction of baseball fans, of Orioles fans, to say, oh, here it is. Here it is again. Of course. Of course this is the thing. The shoe has dropped. And, and, And I would just like to say, despite all of the challenges, we'll talk about the challenges. Yep. Despite all the challenges, this team is finding a way to win. And when I say that, I mean go 500 in a stretch of 10 games, go six and four, five and five, when the injuries are mounting. Sure. When they're not firing on all cylinders. And and when I say not firing on all cylinders, I mean not getting what they need out of the starters, having failures in the middle of relief, not getting what they need out of certain players. In the offense, having the offense disappear from game to game, despite all those things that happen in a 162 game Correct. marathon of a season, the Orioles are keeping pace with an historically good Tampa Bay Rays team. And oh, by the way, are still winning. I think that that is absolutely OK to to, to be optimistic about with, with such a hot start that the Orioles got. I'm OK to be, you know 
doing things like splitting a series with the best team in baseball, you know, going to, to play the Rays in, yep. in Tampa. I'm okay with, again, over the course of several series, winning most of them, going 500, going six and four in long stretches. That's really all you have to do. And a team that is good does not have to be great Mm -hmm. at all times. And with respect to what the league has done with the extra wildcard spot, you only have to be good to make the playoffs now. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, coming back to your point, um, you know, the way I would characterize what I've seen over the past 20 games, and again, we talked about it, you know, last time we met after Mullins went down, and I'm like, the Orioles need to play 500 baseball. And what do they do? They went out and played slightly better than 500 baseball during that time. I think they paid actually at a 568 winning percentage, I think is what I posted after coming off the Mullins injury. Mm-hmm. That is extremely impressive to me. Um, and in essence, you're absolutely right that, you know, you look at the team and I would say it's not just about winning or losing. It's about the grind. We are in the middle of the season. We're halfway through the season and we're in the grind. It's the standpoint of, you know, you've lost that kind of, you know, adrenaline rush at the beginning of the season and you, in essence, have to survive through this period of time until you get to August and September. Um, and then August and September, that adrenaline will kick back in again. So, again, I completely agree with you. And, again, if you look at not just the standings, but you look at the 10-game stretches that are going on in Major League Baseball at this given moment. I mean, I looked up and down Major League Baseball. And, you know, outside of the National League with, you know, the Reds and the Braves who were on fire there for a while, in the American League, you know, the Orioles were typically 5-5 five and five or 6-4. and four during a team game stretch and there's no other teams that were better. Um, I think for a brief period there, the, the Oakland athletics were the best team in the American league. Um, and obviously there was a, a large gap uh, ahead of them in the ALS. So I, I agree. It's one of these aspects where if you can play five or five, six and four baseball um, for over a 10 game stretch, you're going to be in really good shape for the rest of the season. Um, and you're eventually going to get hot. Um, but the big deal is, you know, if you, are going to lose, don't get swept. Um, and if you lose a series, come back and win the next series. And the Orioles have shown that ability to be perseverant of saying, well, we lost the series. Let's come back and try to win the next one. And if you're worried about a return to an incompetent Orioles team, right? Where's the eight game losing streak? Uh-huh. Where's the several five plus game losing streaks? Yeah. The Orioles are going to drop series. The Orioles are going to drop games. It's what you do to not package them together, just like you said. And again, it's the standpoint of like if we're just looking at it within this season, maybe you're saying the the shoe's going to drop. But again, if we go back to last season with Adley Rutschman's debut, the Orioles have been one of the top five baseball teams in all Major League Baseball on the basis of win record. So again, you've got a a fairly large sample set. I'm not saying it's you know a, a, a huge sample set, but you've got a fairly large sample set here um, that should give people confidence kind of going forward. So. I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into it of like who has stepped up here. But again, you know, with Mullins going down, I was like, let's hope that they can go at 500. And, you know, folks have stepped up um, with injuries galore. Um, and, and this team has shown resilience and has been able to grind through it. And and been fun to watch. Yep. All right. Let's let's head over to second base. And at second base, I, I guess I want to talk about Masson, I guess. Yeah. Uh, while we were away. Uh, the Orioles and the Nats settled their case, and Masson will pay out both teams $100 million for the period of 2011 to 2016. Yep. Let me ask you this, uh, because you're clearly um, an expert and, and have inside knowledge in this situation, but um, 
if it's settled for 2011 and 2016, that basically provides a basis for the next period, which is 2017 to 2021, right? That's what Major League Baseball would agree with. Do you think the Orioles are just going to drag this out as long as they can? I don't think so. And this is why I say this is now that precedence has been since established, I think it's really tough to come back and say, yes, but we're going to change the rules again. I think the bigger deal was, and the case was basically made um, during this time period, which was, well, this was a new standpoint. This has never occurred before. Um, and the arbitration panel that was in essence determined by major league baseball was under the legal court proceedings of like, is this allowed or is this not allowed? Um, so now that that hasn't been established saying, yes, that's a, that's an allowed basis. I have a hard time believing that any case that would be brought up would not be immediately dismissed. Okay, so $100 million yeah. is not nothing. No, it's not nothing. $100 million is is not nothing. The Nats are going to get $100 million. Yep. The Orioles are going to get $100 million. Yep. I mean, does that do anything for the Orioles? No, it still hurts them, is the most way to describe it. So they still lose that money because, like, the money obviously is no longer in Masson's pocket, but in reality, Masson's pocket was the Orioles' pocket. Right, but wasn't that money being held in escrow anyway? Well, that's the that's the big rub, which is the standpoint of like obviously that money is in an escrow account because you know in essence you can't in essence be touching it. So again, if you think about we'll call it the net worth of the Angelos family, right? Absolutely, it impacts the net worth of the Angelos family, um, but in reality, you know, from a liquidity standpoint. It's not like it changes the liquidity overnight for the given organization. I don't know. I mean, I can think of lots of ways the Orioles could have spent $100 million in the offseason. I think I can think of several ways as well. Um, I think this gets into the question, though, of, you know, you know, ultimately, what does this mean? What does this mean going forward? I think you're right that I think um, the right period between 2017 and 2021, in essence, comes to a resolution pretty quickly. Um, and I also think this kind of, we'll call it, um, sets the stage now for the Nationals to be sold off. And I think that is the more impactful thing for the Orioles, because here as the Orioles are ascendant, uh-huh. right, headed in the right direction, the Nationals are, are not, uh-huh. right? And I, I, it could not be better timing. It could not be better timing for the Orioles to compete in the battleground. Correct. Right? Howard County. Correct. Howard County, basically. It's, I think. it's basically Howard County. I would agree and, with that. And maybe and maybe Southern Anne Arundel, I guess. But I, I think that's fair. Yeah. But if the Nationals get sold, there's going to be a lot of investment right away. I mean, you know, think about Angelos buying the, the Orioles. Yeah. That, I think, has a negative impact on the Orioles. I think there's that. Uh, and there's a lot going on with the Nationals. And I don't want to turn this into a Nationals you know, podcast too quickly. But again... There was even the information that was coming out, um, you know, in the past few weeks indicating that, um, you know, the Washington Wizards and the Capitals uh, were potentially moving out of, you know, Washington, D.C. into northern Virginia, which makes no sense to me. Like, why would you do that? Um, And then the National Stadium even came up to us. It's like, well, maybe they need to move the stadium. I'm like, here's all this infrastructure that you have built within the heart of D.C., and you're going to move to Northern Virginia, like makes no sense to me. So it seems like Washington DC has a lot to figure out, especially with this new ownership group that, you know, is apparently, you know, looking to potentially purchase the person, purchase the nationals. I do wonder what would happen if, you know, if the decision is made by um, the Leon family to basically say, Hey, we're going to buy the nationals. And Hey, in order for us to buy it, we're also going to move the team to Northern Virginia and still call it Washington DC, but in essence, pull in the Northern Virginia suburbs. I do wonder if, you know, those counties that are around Anne Arundel 
um, and Howard County and Montgomery County would say, I'm not sure if I want to go to Northern Virginia. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, what, what actually makes the money? Is it the turnstiles? Is it, you know, everything else that comes along with it? When you live, you, when you live in an area like Howard County, it's weird because some areas are very culturally Baltimore and some are very culturally. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the fault line. Uh, but right now, I think the Orioles can compete uh, and, and take and take uh, Burnham Wood a little closer sure. to 495. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's that's one of the big uh, components of all this. But that's not the only big story with no. Masson that I want to talk about this yeah. week. Yeah, I mean, there was that other kind of breakthrough information that came through. Look, I, I think Masson has done such great things this season. Um, particularly with some of their shorts and some of the yeah. the content that they've been putting out, you know, the, the DL Hall was was great. Yep. But they have got to figure out their alternate programming. Yeah. We've watched three times. Three this times week. the Orioles Braves 2020 game, which there's nothing of some random game. Random game. Okay, let let's talk. About, I, I've I've put out you know sarcastic polls about what should we be watching instead, but let's talk about what we should be watching instead. I think. We have real solutions here. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit off mic when we were interrupted by uh, by the lightning yeah. uh, on Monday night. Uh, but you have possibly the best idea. My aspect is, you know, minor league baseball is now owned by Major League Baseball. I don't understand why a Major League Baseball team could not contract with minor league baseball to say, um, we want to broadcast one of your games, if it goes to the situation. So basically have a backup feed to say, we're going to switch over to the Norfolk feed, or we're going to switch over to the buoy feed. Um, and in essence, go about it in that fashion. I can't imagine it's much money. Um, in fact, if you're a major league baseball team, I don't understand why you can just go to MLB advanced media and say, I want it, give it to me. Um, it just makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of sense, but I don't think you're considering the fact that accounts and descriptions. That's true. Of minor league baseball <laughs> uh, are owned um, by uh, the country uh, locals in that area. No, no, they're owned by Major League Baseball now. But yeah, I just think that would be an interesting standpoint. I mean, I even think, you know, coming back to the standpoint of broadcasting, not just during rain delays, but again, for those that don't have an MLB account and are not watching live games, I think it'd be extremely interesting to throw on uh, a Norfolk Tides or a Bowie Bay Sox game in the afternoon before an Orioles baseball game and say, here's what the game looked like last night. If you want to watch it, go forward with it. And again, you're talking about mass and what is ways that you can make money. Ways you can make money is by increasing advertising dollars. You know, outside of Orioles games, I can't imagine advertising dollars are extremely um, fluid and or high, um, you know, before the game and or after the game or at weird periods of night. I, I also think and, you know, again, this is a real solution that I, I'm, I'm not just being sarcastic here. I think a, a good solution would be to play. A condensed version of the game, you know, uh, YouTube, uh, the Orioles or Major League Baseball or both yep. has these condensed game summaries yep. that are like nine, ten minutes long. Yep. Why not show us the condensed uh, highlights of the last series or the last two series? Yeah. No, I think that makes a ton of sense in terms of just saying, like, here it is um, and just kind of highlighting that basis, particularly as Games have been so exciting as the team has been winning so much. I'll give you another one um, from this kind of era. Um, you know, during the Buckle Up Burbs era, you know, at the end of, you know, 2012 and 2014, the Orioles came out 
with videos and content basically to highlight the entire season. If that were come on for an hour, yeah. would you not sit down and watch it for an hour? Of course I would. Like I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll put that on every once in a blue moon to just kind of feel the feels as it were. But it just doesn't make any sense. Like it's just, there's no purpose. And again, I think that's the big question. Again, at the end of the day, you look at the settlement that has occurred here. Um, you look at the dwindling cable standpoint that is c- continuing to go on in this country. And you look at the lack of strategic planning as it relates to Masson um, as a whole, not not the broadcast, mm-hmm, but specifically mm-hmm. as a whole for the channel. For the networks. Yeah. yeah. And I say to myself, how long does Masson have? The thing is, they never tried to try. And I that's, agree. that's the thing that's so obnoxious. It, it was, it was, you know, a hand wave from the yeah. beginning. Yep. It was the aspect of like, well, we're going to make money no matter what. We're just going to go ahead and do it. And, and I just don't feel like they have to spend that much money or do or take that much effort to make the product better. That's the thing that's frustrating. Well, maybe if you download the Masson app and used it more often, you'd be extremely happy with the performance. Listen, I have downloaded the all-new <laughs> Masson app. Yeah. All right. So that is as Masson turns. I will hop down off my soapbox for that. I I made a passionate defense of, of optimism. Yep. I said we'd talk about some of the problems. Yep. Let's talk about some of the problems. Sure. Over at third base, I want to talk about middle relief because it is concerning. In fact, Scotty, it is so concerning, I've moved on to the bourbon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, outside of uh, Felix Batista and Yanni Arcano, um, there's not someone I think you say, I feel really high to your confidence. I think you've got an assortment of folks that you're like, they could have a good day. They could have a bad day today. And then I think you have a few people that you're like, I don't want this person on my team anymore. Um, but yeah, it's very much a roller coaster ride on middle relief right now. Um, and again, we've talked about this before. You know, when the Orioles get to the playoffs, um, they're not going to let starters go deep. I mean, it's we've already seen it earlier this season with Hyde, you know, not wanting to let starters go deep. Um, it's going to even be more exasperated in the playoffs. So, you're going to have to, in essence, have a solid individual in the sixth and seventh inning to potentially go to um, in those bind situations. And right now, who's who's your sixth or seventh inning guy right now? Brian Baker? Meh. Danny Klum? Eh. Let, let's, let's take a step back and look at this holistically. My question to you, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to find a silver lining here. My question is... Is this a problem of everybody being exposed at once? Yep. Or is it a, is it a, a matter of people hitting rough skids and just happen to be all at the same time? I think it's... I'm going to go with both, but I'm going to go with more of a rough skid. And I'll tell you why I'm going to say that. Um, you know, I, I do think it is a matter where um, some of these relievers have seen an extensive amount of workload. Mm-hmm. Um, not just in terms of innings pitched... But again, coming back to the buck era, there has been a lot of dry humping. Like there has been a lot of get up, stretch your arm out, and then in essence, sit back down. And I don't think Hyde does a great job with that. I think Hyde, in essence, gets lots of people up and never utilizes them. Mm-hmm. And we never saw that during the Showalter era. Um, and I thought Showalter did a really nice job with that. Um, I, so I do think there's a little bit of burnout. However, I do think there is a lot of situation where we just don't have a lot of talent um, in that middle relief standpoint. So got to improve on that. Yeah, I mean, I look at I look at some, like some of the guys you talked about, like Brian Baker is a guy that I I feel like I can believe in right. sometimes. 
Uh, Mike Bowen is a guy I feel like I can believe in sometimes. Danny Kaloum, a guy I, you know, you can go down the line. There, now, there are some that you don't feel that way about. Like, um, you know, Ciano Perez has not has not restored our confidence. You know, Keegan Aiken, not so much. Logan Gillespie, I don't have any negative feelings about, but but he's not he's not up here because he's been knocking on the door. He's here because other people have been failing. Correct. I I I wonder how much of this also goes to the fact of of the starters not quite giving some of the performances that we'd like. I agree completely with that. That comes back to the burnout standpoint. So I think them getting up all they have and you know the starters not going deep into games I think has hurt the bullpen on that basis. But again, outside of like if it was at the very very beginning of the season, if I look at the talent that there's in the middle of the bullpen, I'm like. I'm not sure if that's quite the situation. Again, I said this at the very beginning of the season. This was why I actually predicted them kind of finishing 81-81, and I'm going to be wrong about that. But I said, I just don't think the bullpen is going to be quite good enough um, to basically you know, see this team into being a positive win team. I was wrong on that aspect. The, the rest of the team you know, has picked up the slack. But I, I still hold to that assertion that the bullpen is not, um, outside of Yannir Cano and Felix Batista, there's a major gap there. And and honestly, you know, we we've, we've talked about the. Uh, I'm trying so desperately to avoid using the phrase cavalry over the the hill, but you know, when Michael Givens gets here, I don't have a ton of faith in I him. No, I have no faith in Michael Givens. I mean, when Givens came out last time and came into the major league roster, he's throwing at 91 miles per hour, and I'm like, I just don't see how this is going to work. Like, I just don't see how it's it's going to work. I mean, he might be you know somewhat okay, but like, I've got no confidence in him in a high leverage situation. The other frustrating thing about this to me is that there is no one at the minor league level who is pushing their way up here. And at this point, we need live arms. Mm-hmm. And you would hope that, you know, a DL Hall would yep. be just undeniable and and be here. You, you would hope that Grayson Rodriguez, you know, if hey, if he can't start. Sure. Uh, listen, on a playoff team, yep. get the rookie some experience. If he can throw ninety eight in the sure. in the middle of the game, yep. fine. But he hasn't been forcing his way up here either. It's it's gotten to the point where, like, you know, I look at some of these arms and I'm like, do I really want an Austin Voth in the minors right. over these guys? I, I I would prefer see a Drew Rom in short stints yep. rather than start if he can get out. Yeah, and I think the big question is, you know, for those pitchers like a DL Hall or a Grayson Rodriguez or a Drew Rom. Are you pulling them out of the starting rotation in Norfolk and potentially stunting development mm-hmm. um, in order to basically put them as a middle arm? Um, I think the Orioles are very reluctant to do so. Um, and even the Drew Rom situation, you've got to create a 40-man spot for them. So I think their Orioles are even more so. Um, so I think it's a tough, tough matter. I mean, I think the most obvious middle reliever right now that if I'm looking at you know all the Orioles roster is John Means. We talked about it, you know, him coming back potentially not in July, um, but maybe in you know mid August, maybe you know end of August, even September. I think John Means is an ideal middle relief candidate. I I wonder if John Means, and you know, he's got the mentality for it. Like he's got the pers- sure. he's got the personality for it. He's not going to be like, well, I'm a starting pitcher. I'm going to have to do it. He's going to do whatever is necessary to help this team out. And I think that if you went to John Means and say, Hey, John, we need you to pitch two innings this day, and then mm-hmm. two days we need you to pitch another inning, I think you'd be like, cool. John, we're only going to get you know 65 innings from you. This is how we want to spend right. it. Exactly. Yeah. I think he's going to be perfectly fine with that. I don't think there's going to be an issue whatsoever. I think he's got the mentality, and I think he's got the 
the experience where he's just like, I want to do it. I want to be on a playoff team. I want to make whatever's happening. I don't think he has that personality. So like if I'm looking for a middle reliever to come in in the sixth or seventh inning, I think John Means is going to be the individual that could serve as the catalyst for the bullpen for the back end of the season. Uh, here's something I don't want to happen. Sure. I see another scenario mm-hmm. where you bring bring back John Means in August or September or whenever he's ready, and you say, John, take the ball every fifth day. Do we have a starter? Can you think of a starter who has the pedigree of being a very effective reliever? Uh, you're talking about Tyler Wells? I'm talking about Tyler Wells. Yeah, I just don't see. I think you. I don't think you can move Tyler Wells at this yeah, point. Yeah, it would be yeah. absolutely cutting your nose off to spite your face. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, I could see yeah. them trying to make the argument. I and and if I could just like return to a previous episode for just a moment, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be great if the Orioles had maybe done something to address this particular depth issue more effectively in the offseason? Yeah, I mean, they did go out and get Michael Givens. And like I said, I'm not a huge fan of going out and purchasing relief pitchers. Like, I don't like that move in general. Like, when they signed Givens, I was not happy with the move. I was like, is that really where you want to be spending your money on Michael Givens? Um, I I think the bigger question is this, is um, are you making another Andrew Miller trade this season? I don't think you're making an Andrew Miller trade. I don't think you're making a trade that is so expensive. Right. But I mean, I do, I do. Well, it depends when, because you know, the Rays are going to do that. The Rays are going to go out there and they're going to say, we need an additional bullpen arm, just like the Orioles need an additional bullpen arm. We've got the prospect depth, just like the Orioles have the prospect depth. And they're going to push chips in to do it. Cause they're going to say, we need it. Um, do you do that as an Orioles fan and saying, this is the year we want to push all our chips in? I, I think it'll be interesting because I'll tell you my answer right now. All right. What's your answer? My answer is no. My answer is no. I wouldn't do it this year. Um, if it was, if the team was maybe slightly better, had some additional starting pitching, I would do it in a heartbeat. But I just don't think it's quite to the point where I'm like, I'm willing to trade a top 10 prospect for. Um, for 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 a star middle a bullpen arm, basically at this given point, I agree with you. And the other thing that I, I think about is that if you look at where the the trade deadline is, I think the need will have already been there mm-hmm. and not and not passed. I'm not necessarily hopeful that the need will have passed by the the trade deadline, but the damage mm-hmm. may have already been done at that point. All right, so so the que- the answer to the question of what do you do is maybe nothing. You might have to do nothing, unfortunately. Oof. All right, well let's let's head into home plate, and I want to do a little bit of rosterbation. Yeah, and we have we have teased a couple of things. Let's start. Let's start on a happy note. Sure. Jordan Westberg is here. Jordan Westberg is here. I mean, the Orioles finally did the thing. Is the best way to describe it. They mm-hmm. finally went out and said. All right, he's coming up. He's going to play every single day. We're going to give him a low number. <laughs> give him 11, <laughs> which is always a good sign. Um, Taron Vavra was like, what the hell, man? What the heck is going on here? Um, but yeah, they they, they did it, um, is the best way to describe it. So glad to see it. You know, well-deserved, well, well deserved, 
well overdue. Um, and the Orioles, you know, had to make some moves to basically, you know, create up some roster space in order to do that. Um, so yeah, that, that's great. Um, that he he is up and you know in essence has been playing every single day, and so far so good, right? The so far the returns have been good for Jordan Westbrook. Yeah, and in a very small sample size, you know it's been a really nice two games. Um, he had a really poor at bat this evening, um, but that's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at folks like Adley, you look at Gunner, they're going to go through these bad stretches, but you know ultimately I look at you know what we're putting out there right now in the field and in the infield. And I say, I like what I see from a glove standpoint, and I like what I see from a plate approach standpoint with Jordan Westberg, where I want to see more. The other great thing about Jordan Westberg is that the Orioles don't need a whole lot from him. You know, they don't need him to be the star of the show. They do not need him to be anything other than a complimentary player. Right? I, I agree. He, he needs to contribute more than he takes away. Yep. And that is the extent of the pressure on Jordan Westberg. And, you know, while we're at it, the, the other middle infielders that, that he's replacing have not been so hot either. No, I agree. I mean, I, honestly, if Jordan Westberg can bring a decent glove, an above average glove, I'm actually perfectly fine with that is, is the best way to put it. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, to say, you know, I, I'm glad that they finally made the move. They needed to make the move. They finally did it. Awesome. Like, let's... Let's move on and just watch Jordan Westberg and see what he can develop into. And uh, and I've you know we've now teased this for who he's replacing, but I mean, how do you solve a problem like Adam Frazier right now? Well, so you've got three folks right now on the roster that you know Westberg is in essence replacing. You've got um, Adam Frazier, you've got Jorge Mateo potentially, and you've got Ramon Urias. I don't see Ramon Urias leaving this team um, because again, I think he's such a good utility infielder. Um, and again, he's even demonstrated the ability to play first base um, this this year, too. So I just don't see Ramon Urias. So it, then it gets into the question of, like, on my team, do I want Jorge Mateo or do I want Adam Frazier? And as much as Jorge Mateo frustrates the heck out of me sometimes, specifically running the base pass, he is still a really useful tool um, as it relates to potentially stealing bases and also being a late-inning defensive replacement that I would want him on this team. Adam Frazier, and I called, I said this at the very beginning of the season. I, I, I don't want to be super negative about a guy because Adam Frazier does seem like a really nice, quiet guy. I, he, he does nothing for me. Like, he is a, an absolute, like, zero burger, not a burger for me. Like, he does not play a good defense. I called that at the very beginning of the season. Like, you could just look at the range standpoint. It's like, doesn't have great aspects. You know, the arm is okay at best. Um, I actually think it's a little bit below average just looking at it, um, when, when watching him play. And then from a from a from a batting standpoint, yeah, he's had some clutch hits. There's no doubt about that. But again, if I look at you know, you know, exit velocity in terms of like how powerful his hits are, I mean, he's a slap hitter, and again, he's just not getting on base enough to basically make it worthwhile for me. So I just don't see the role that Adam Frazier has on this team. Like he can't come off the bench and be a pinch hitter or an effective one, I would say. Um, and he doesn't seem like it's a defensive upgrade. Roman Urias, I think, is a defensive upgrade in many instances. So, like, why, why, why is he needed on this team at this point? Yeah, no. And when he was signed, we had this discussion. Why? Why? Why is he here? I got to tell you, the eight million dollars that the Orioles are paying him does represent the largest expenditure of the offseason. But it is not so large that I feel like the Orioles need to be married to him. 
So I agree. Um, I think that's the right way to think about it. And I think you have to look at it also on the basis of its sunk cost. I think we've talked about this before in the podcast of sunk cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you've got to, I think this is more of a balancing the books. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, roster moves that occurred since we've been kind of, you know, gone. And, you know, one thing that we covered on a, a previous podcast was the, the Aaron Hicks signing. Um, and we were very much like, uh, why are the Orioles doing this? And Aaron Hicks has proven us wrong. Like we yeah. have been, we were absolutely wrong about everything from an Aaron Hicks standpoint. Um, he played a really nice center field while, um, Cedric Mullins was out. He's done a really nice job at the plate, having some really clutch hits. Um, and the other standpoint is he's done really nice from his plate discipline standpoint too. So really taking full counts, um, achieving more pitches seen so that batters around him can be more successful on that basis. And the Yankees are paying most of his freight. Exactly. So let's let, and that's the, that's why I was coming back to the standpoint. So again, if you're paying someone like a, an Aaron Hicks specifically at the minimum salary standpoint at this given point, um, you know, designating for assignment of Frazier if you basically average the two together, you're just like, well, honestly, like that's exactly what I was expecting to get from a, from a contributor off my bench um, on this basis. It was just wrong guy, wrong time. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, Frazier's going to go to some team and he's going to do okay. Yeah. But it's just not the right fit for this organization, especially for the depth that the Orioles have currently um, in the minors and even now on, on the 26-man roster. Well, let me ask you this about Hicks. Is Hicks here for the rest of the season, or is Hicks a trade chip? Oh, there's no chance Hicks is a trade chip. You, you don't think that another team... No chance. ...would want the Yankees to pay Hicks to play for him as a fourth outfielder? No chance. Okay. Maybe for like a bag of balls or like an international prospect, but I, I have a really hard time with that. All right. Yeah, I have a really hard time with that. I think the bigger question is, and this kind of comes back to the roster manipulation standpoint, um, you know, we I just mentioned DFA and Frazier. However, I do raise the question, you know, coming back to our middle relief conversation, even pitching in general, you know, could a package be put together that would include someone like a Mullins who is under club control for three more years mm. and saying, we're going to trade you, well, not Mullins, um, sorry, Mateo. We're going to trade you Mateo, who's under code control for three more years. Um, and we're going to trade you Mateo plus a prospect um, for a pitcher. I think that makes a lot more sense. And I think there's somebody out there that would say, if I can have Mateo controlled for three years, I think I can resurrect some of that magic that the Orioles saw in April. And I really like the defense and I really like the speed. And it's worthwhile for me to have on my team for three years. I still say the time to do that was when he was hitting 357. <laughs> yeah, but no team was going to buy into that. Like, they have to see a larger sample size on that basis. But, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you could have hoodwinked someone on that basis, absolutely. But I, I think that's enough to basically get someone interested to say, okay, this guy could be something if we do something slightly different than what the Orioles are doing. It's our trash for their treasure. Isn't that how fan trades work? I don't even think it's that. I think it's the standpoint of just like the Hicks standpoint, you know, the Orioles saw something in Hicks where they're like, we can fix something and we think we can turn into something like that. Again, let's think about teams that in essence need or shortstop right now. You can't tell me that putting Jorge Mateo into the Dodgers organization, that the Dodgers couldn't do something with Mateo. I'm not saying they could fix him. But I guarantee it's a useful piece. The Dodgers could figure out something to do with him to basically change his approach slightly. 
And I don't think he would turn into a world beater, but I do think it's a change of scenery could be beneficial for Mateo. So, I mean, I think it's extremely interesting to look at the Dodgers organization and say, okay, well, do you trade something to the Dodgers and Jorge Mateo plus somebody else in order to get, you know, a middle relief arm or, you know, someone that is flirting with their 40 man roster that you could potentially put on your 40 man roster on on something on that basis. Let's be careful. Yeah. Because the last time we traded a shortstop to the Dodgers, yes, we got five players in return. <laughs> Correct, including yes, Bravik Valera. It's true. Let's not mention Dean Kramer, but no, no, no. no. I, I mean, Bravik the Destroyer. Bravik the Destroyer was yes. the was the jewel of that trade, and he is still enjoying his hamburger stand down in Minnesota at this moment. <laughs> um, you you've touched on this a couple of times now. Forty man roster, forty man roster, forty man roster. Weird. It's weird this season. Yep. Because we care about the fringe of our 40 man roster Correct. in a way that we didn't have to over the last five years. We have a roster that is good, not necessarily top to bottom, right. but maybe edge to edge. Yep. In a way that that hasn't really happened. I I will say this. So let me let me read you some of the 40 man names that are not on Please the do. MLB roster. Please do. You've got Josh Lester. I've heard of him. Taryn Varvra. Yep. Joy Ortiz. Okay. Kyle Stowers. Sounds good. Grayson Rodriguez. Yes. Dio Hall. Yep. Seth Johnson. Mm, okay. You lost me there. So he was who we got last year through um, the uh, trade for um, Lopez um, mm. that had the Tommy oh, John yeah. surgery. Um, Drew Rom. Yep. Nick Vespi. Okay. Logan Gillespie. Yep, yep, yep. And that is it. So, like, there Oof. is a lot of really good players on the 40-man right now. So, like, if I'm looking at that list, I'm saying, like, Josh Lester is probably potentially on the chopping block. Cl- closest thing to quadruple A we've got. Yep. And I think based off of how the Orioles feel about him, I think Nick Vespi is probably chopping blockish as well. Um but again, that in essence means you've got one or two spots there to play with. And then you obviously have Ben Boom, too, because Ben Boom is on your 40-man roster right now serving as your backup catcher. So, like, you could DFA him, um, and you're going to have to DFA him when McCann comes up again. And that, that guy will pass through waivers, no problem. Right, and that guy will, will pass through waivers. So um, so I, I think there is this question, which is, like, if you're going to activate someone like a Colton Kalser, if you're going to activate, um, you know, some other, some other individuals going forward— um, like let's say you wanted to do Connor Norby. I don't think Connor Norby's coming up this year, but like you're starting to get into a 40 man roster crunch. So, I mean, ideally you got to start clearing the decks and the way you start clearing the decks is you either start designating for assignment or you start making trades. So I think we're going to see multiplayer trades off the 40 man roster to clear up 40 man space. So what you're telling me is that we're going to get a massive return in terms of middle relief for Lester no, and Frazier and Hicks. Those yeah. three are just going to bring back a whopper yeah. of a middle relief. I do think, again, this comes back to the question of, you know, how much do you want to compete now and even into next year? Do you trade away someone like Jorge Mateo and a DL Hall and say, we want to go get a starting pitcher for this year and potentially next year? Do you want to go get like a Corbin Burns? And he hasn't been good this year. But like, do you want to trade away a DL Hall and a Jorge Mateo 
for someone like a Corbin Burns. I'm not saying it's going to be Corbin Burns because, like I said, I'm not sure if that's a that's the right fit for the Brewers. Right. But like, do you start trading away those real assets for a starting pitcher of that caliber um, or a middle reliever of that kind of caliber? I think the Orioles are in this in the situation where they are not looking for the next Andrew Miller, mm-hmm. meaning that a trade would have to include at least a little bit of club control. Yep. And I agree that I don't think they need to be gun shy about dealing from positions of strength. Yeah. And, and they've got it up and down. They've got it up and down. Exactly. And there is a plethora of talent coming through the organization, especially in that inner uh, infield, basically right now. Um, I think the Orioles need to start moving off of Jorge Mateo and figuring out which team is going to give them something um, because they just don't see it. Um, and if not, then Adam Frazier needs to be designated for assignment. It's as simple as that. Here, here. Well, while we dream about a world in which Adam Frazier is DFA'd for the middle relief, dream about it. I feel bad for the guy, but at the same point, like these are the trials and tribulations of like a really good forty-man roster and a really good playoff team um, potentially. So it is what it is. While we dream about that, let's fantasize about plenty of other things. Let's head over to Fantasy Boss. This music is being played, Scotty. We're it's about f- time. We're going to fight about this. No, there's you there's, and I are going to fight about this because here's the there's deal. There's no fighting about this. I completely agree with this decision. We we were supposed to we were supposed to record uh, three weeks ago. Yes, and we had a scheduling issue. Yep, we were supposed to record two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we had a scheduling issue. We were supposed to record on Monday, mm-hmm. and an act of God stopped intervened. That, stopped that episode. But listen. In each of those opportunities, yes, my player would have had more RBIs than your player. Then I think that's a win. However, as it stands right this moment, your uh-huh. player, Austin Hayes, coming into this evening, had 10 RBI, and my player, Aaron Hicks, had 8 RBI. Over a three-week period. And Scott, I feel like... That means that I have not won Fantasy Boss. No, I think you, you've you won Fantasy Boss. I, I feel like you're you're putting the finish line in the inappropriate place. No, I'm just like asking you to hit off the women's tees as opposed to the men's tees like in golf. All right. I will take your pity only because you have such a massive, <laughs> massive Fantasy Boss lead. We need to let you win a little bit so we can keep the shtick up for the entire season. All right, so... So my undefe- my defeated season is over. Yep. The score is now 7-1. I I am I am playing under protest. Sure. I'm playing under protest. I believe it should be 8-0. Okay. But I will I will You're going to allow it. I will allow it. And so that means due to the rules of fantasy boss, yep. The loser picks the category. Yep. We've broken that all season because I I've, I've run out of words to say out loud. So Absolutely. Scotty, 
the honor is yours. What is your category for this week in Fantasy Boss? All right. So my category for this week is going to be total bases. Tibbs. Tibbs. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Mr. Tibbs. Total bases. All right. So I should not pick Adam Frazier. You can. I should not. I mean, if we're saying he needs to be DFH, that means in the next week he is going to absolutely go in fuego. I I am man. I am going to. Poof. I don't like any of my options. I don't like any of my options. None of your options. I'm going to go chalk. I'm going to go with Gunnar Henderson and hope and hope against hope that he will do all the things necessary to ride me into a second victory of this season. All right. I am going to go with, hmm, I am going to go with Cedric Mullen since he's back Ooh, for total bases. That's brave. Yeah. I'm going to go Cedric Mullins. I, I, you know, I love Cedric Mullins. I love Cedric Mullins, too. I'm not sure I trust him yet. I don't so sure if I trust him either. He looks a little bit, a little slow right now with the fastball. Yeah. Um, but I'm going, I'm going Cedric. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping he entertains me. Okay. So we will find out who owns it. And from here, we will take a quick break. And when we come back, we will see who's good, who's bad, and who's ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I will get started. And my good is, again, going with chalk. I picked Gunner for a reason. Gunner had been all world while Scotty and I were away. In between us recording a podcast, he had a 195 weighted runs create a plus. He was almost twice the player that the average Major League Baseball player was. His line was 362, 393. 672. Here's a crazy thing. His BABIP was 410. Mm. So clearly unsustainable. But while it was good, mm, it was good. It was good. Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, Gunnar uh, absolutely had an Enfuego standpoint. But again, I'm, I'm going to go with somebody else over the past 14 days that I think deserves a little recognition. And again, I know he's been getting a little bit of a heralding, specifically going into the All Star break. And that's got to be Austin Hayes over mm. the past 14 days. 370 average, 420 on base percentage, um, 522 slugging, 409 Woba. Um, you know, also played some really nice defense as well with, you know, Aaron Aaron Hicks being out there as well. Um, because I wasn't sure how that like tandem was going to work. And yeah. it worked out really well, honestly. Um, so yeah, he gets my good minor deduction uh for running into the wall in left field um and giving me almost a heart attack. Um, so yeah, don't do that again, Austin Hayes. Um, but yeah, Austin Hayes gets my my good for 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 this for this week. And again, keep in mind this is a full half season of healthy Austin Hayes. Yep. Knock on wood that we get the next half, and I I think we're gonna see one heck of a player. I agree. All right, my bad is going to go to the Orioles' middle infield, which has been bad enough to force the Orioles' hand with Jordan Westberg. Yeah. It almost seemed like they didn't want to go there. Yes. And yet, Mateo and Frazier being so, so ineffective 
force their hand. And, and just one small thing that I can point out is that my phone absolutely blew up. Uh, two subpar Kyle Gibson starts ago. Kyle, uh, Frazier misplayed a ball, and it was <laughs> it was not the decisive. Uh, play in that game that they that they gave up uh, 10 runs after that play but those are the little things that have added up not every every play at the plate it's every play in the field that has been disappointing for Frazier and for Mateo it's just a matter of the fact that the stick has not been enough it's a bummer that those two haven't been able to cobble things together better and you know, I'm excited to see Jordan Westberg. I'm I'm glad that he's here, but he shouldn't have had to have been. Great. And so the middle infield has been bad. Yes, my bad is going to go to MLB scheduling. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it, it maybe worked out to our advantage with, you know, the Cedric Mullins injury. But, man, the amount of off days that have occurred over this stretch of period of time since we last recorded just really bothers me. And then again, when I look at the rest of the season, I'm like, why are all our off days write it during this period of time. And like, we don't have off days scheduled throughout the rest of the season. So it just seems like a really poorly done schedule. Um, they've got to, in essence, balance it more so on that basis going forward. Fair enough. Fair enough. All I can ask from a scheduling standpoint is get a f- couple more of those afternoon weekday getaway games. Yep. Cause I will get there to one of them. Yep. My ugly is going to go, uh, you know, again, we we've been off the mics for a couple of weeks. My ugly is going to go to Keegan Aiken. And this has everything to do with the fact that he failed in a mop-up situation the other night. And if you can't effectively mop-up, why are you here? In an organization in which we are desperate for middle relief, why are you even here? Keegan Aiken brings me nothing. And the only reason that he's surviving on a roster is because the Orioles don't have anything better to bring. Why are you even here? Keegan Aiken, for so many reasons, you were ugly. Yeah, and I hate to do this one for my ugly, um, but I think we've seen it now for two back-to-back starts. I think it's got to go to Kyle Gibson. Yeah. Um, and I hate that because it's the standpoint of, like, I really like Kyle Gibson, but at the same point, I'm watching him, and I, I'm watching him, like, play and just, you know, float balls up in there, and I'm like, this is no bueno um, is the best way to describe it. So Kyle Gibson... Um, you know, I'm not sure what's changed. It looks like he's not getting quite the movement on the ball as we saw earlier this season. Um, not fooling so much. Um, that needs to improve. So Kyle Gibson gets my ugly. I do think he's going to turn it around. Sure. Um, I think we, we've seen it before, but I, I think he might need the all-star break to basically reset, refresh and come back from it. So, um, right now he's ugly. Yeah. I've said it before. I look, I've, I've really enjoyed him. He's a great addition to the club. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch, but boy, not the last two games. He has been ugly. All right. Well, let's, let's take a quick break and, uh, come back and blow the save. second jake jake i can't hear you jake jake i can't hear you scott i'm giving the signal yeah i can't hear it 
Scott, I'm, I'm pushing all the buttons. I know, but I can't hear it. Scott, I am doing everything that I do every other time. I understand that, but I still can't hear it. Can you go back to the dugout and maybe get a new pitch com? All right, hang on. Let's talk about this for a second. <laughs> this came up during the, uh, the Red Series, and the, the Reds had a serious problem in the opening game of the series. It was the first game. Yeah, right? first game. With pitch com, where multiple times during the game, they had a, an issue with Pitchcom. And here's something I don't understand. If the Pitchcom goes down mm-hmm. and there's nobody on base. Right. Okay. I'll just be as generous as possible. Yep. When there's nobody on base, have pitchers and catchers forgotten how to use signs? Correct. How do you not have backup signs? You only need like six of them. Correct. I, I don't understand. I, I, it makes no sense to In me. all of the attempts to speed up the game. Yep. You would think that there would be some sort of, not even a rule, just a best practice of if your pitch com goes down in the middle of an inning, Correct. sure, go get another one. Yep. If it happens again, use your fingers. Yep. And this isn't even like a shake my fist uh, and get off my lawn, kids. This is just a dumb, dumb, dumb problem. It's also, it was very odd to me because it's the standpoint of like in the first game, it was... They kept calling for a pitchcom error with one second left on the delivery. And mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. like well, if it happens at seven seconds, I'm like, okay, cool. Like you can't, you weren't ready for that first pitch. But at that point you're like, all right, I'm going to go new pitchcom, I'm going to take care of it. But when it happens twice at one second, so I'm like, something's up here. Like, you know, the system at this point and you're playing the system is the best way to call it. Kevin Brown was on it and yeah. you better believe Brandon Hyde was on it. Yeah. So again, I, I I think it I think you're right. I think this is something that's going to have to get addressed. Which is, you know, if, if teams are going to go to pitchcom, you know, you you have the option to use pitchcom. But again, if your pitchcom goes down, you've got to in essence you can go to the dugout one time during the inning, get a new pitchcom. You can come back, and then if your pitchcom goes down that inning, then you have to fit, switch over to signs. It's just it's part of the game. We teach our kids that you've got to do changing up your signs. Um, it just has to happen. It's 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 just a ridiculous standpoint to make. And Cincinnati Reds, you know, if if this is uh, you know not working out for you, I'm just going to give you the fingers. Yeah, exactly. And that that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Birds of You Baltimore. Dot com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over on social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Snapchat. We're on the ticks and the talks. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Let's go O's. Scott, has there ever been a night to be more proud of the Baltimore Orioles? I'm glad to be coming out. I gotta tell you, I have a welling pride in the commitment of the organization on this night.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.